Hi there, and welcome to Power Play. I'm Vashi Capellos. Tonight, North American breakthrough. We can and must be doing even more. The Prime Minister, his U.S. and Mexican counterparts meet in Mexico City. We're going to take you live to that summit in moments. Then, tragedy and accountability. A young woman dies after waiting hours for emergency hospital care in Nova Scotia. Now her family is calling for reforms. In moments, we'll ask the Premier of that province what he plans to do about it. Then our front bench is here to dig into what summit successes and healthcare reforms could mean for you. Unfortunately, I, I feel like we were neglected until she was to a point where they couldn't ignore us anymore, but at that point it was just too late. I don't know what's going on, but the healthcare system is obviously not getting the attention it needed. That was the husband of the late Allison, uh, Allison Holtoff, a 37-year-old woman who died in a Nova Scotia hospital on New Year's Eve after waiting hours for emergency care. Holtoff's family, as you heard there, says her death is the result of a broken health care system and they're pleading with the government to fix it. Let's bring in Nova Scotia's Premier Tim Houston now. Hi, Premier Houston. Thanks so much for making the time this evening. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, I wanted to start off with what happened in Amherst, acknowledging that I imagine there's a lot that you can't say uh, based on privacy concerns. But based on what you do know right now, how concerned are you about Nova Scotians and their ability or lack thereof of being able to access the emergency care they need? Yeah, this is an incredibly sad tragedy. I mean, a 37-year-old mother, a wife, a community leader, it's it's incredibly sad and and the the impact that it has on 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 the community, on the family of course, but on the, on the whole province is uh, it's really really heavy. So it's incredibly sad what happened there. So it's uh, front and center on all of our minds. But we know that the healthcare system in in Nova Scotia, really nationally, is is under pressure. Uh, our system of Medicare is under pressure in in every every single corner of this country, and and it's been like that in Nova Scotia for a while. Certainly, I was elected uh, a little over a year ago now on a campaign to to get healthcare fixed, and I'm as committed as ever. And when we see these types of tragedies, it just kind of just makes us go a little. We know we need to go harder. There's a lot of work to be done for sure. But the but uh, we're just uh, the sadness of what happened is is it's it's really heavy. I do want to ask in, in just a moment about um, the plans that you have for the system and, and the asks of the federal government. But just on this specific. Uh, as you put it, tragic, um, tragic incident. Uh, there is an investigation that's being conducted. Um, will the results of that be made public? Yeah, so whenever we have a, a serious incident like this, like a, a death or, or, or otherwise of somebody interacting with the health with the health system, it automatically triggers a, a, an investigation. So, so that has happened for sure. Uh, we really want to know, understand what happened, and 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 learn those lessons that can that can possibly learn. So we'll do the the investigation will take place. It's already started, and then then the next steps would be that the the results of the investigation would be shared with the family. Uh, first, first and foremost, and then we'll, and then we will go from there. Uh, obviously, we're we're always concerned about privacy and you know people's private medical information. So, so we we, we need to know what happened here. Um, healthcare professionals want to know that. Nova Scotians want to know that somebody's checking. And certainly, the family have a right to answer. So, so we'll do the investigation. The results will be will be shared and discussed with the family, and then we will go from there. 
Premier, I know that, that you and other provinces are in concert for the most part in asking the federal government for more money. Before I ask you, though, about that ask, I think it's incumbent on me to ask you about your own record. As you pointed out, you came into office on almost a singular promise to, to fix health care. Uh, I know that that doesn't happen overnight, but you have been in office uh, for over a year. I looked, for example, at the number of uh, people waiting for a primary physician from January 2022 to December 22. That number jumped from 83,000 people to 125,000 people. Uh, are Nova Scotians, uh, is it understandable that they might be disappointed in the lack of progress your government has made? Well, I think, look, the concern, we all share the concerns. I feel a sense of urgency. Um, it's easy to get impatient. Uh, I'm an impatient person. I push people very hard to go harder uh, and go faster, for sure. Uh, what what I w would say to people, and I think Nova Scotians are, are pretty uh, understanding and you know grounded in common sense, the issues in the healthcare system have been, you know, they've been growing for for decades, for decades for sure, and certainly the last number of years. I was very honest with Nova Scotians during during the campaign that it would take time uh, to fix healthcare, and it would take money, um, and it's taking a lot of money. We're making significant investments in healthcare, and it is going to take time. There's no question about that. The Nita family practiced uh, statistic that's growing up. I, that's a that's an indicator for sure. There are other metrics. I think in, in, in Nova Scotia, we've taken a lot of steps. The health leadership team are making a number of incremental improvements. Each one of them will have an improvement for sure. Those are suggestions that are coming from frontline healthcare workers. We're doing town halls with communities. We did town halls with healthcare workers. I did a town hall in Pictou County last night, where we have very frank discussions with uh, with people, look them right in the eye and tell them about the state of healthcare. And we've been very open. You, you referred to one metric. There are lots of other metrics. And we, in fact, we put a whole website up, our, our Action for Healthcare website. People can tune into that website and see what's happening in the healthcare system, see the emergency room capacity numbers pretty much in real time. I mean, some statistics are, are we, weekly, monthly, some are a day lag, but but we're being very frank with Nova Scotians about what is happening in the healthcare system. Now we need to be, you know, we need to share more information about the good stuff that is happening. There's good stuff to be happening, but there is a lot of work to be done. And we have a, a loss like we like we all experienced uh, that, that just reminds us how much work there is to be done. But I don't want Nova Scotia, Nova Scotians to think nothing's being done and it's easy to get impatient. But I just ask them to trust that the people managing the healthcare system are as committed to getting it fixed as I am. Is that, do you concede though that that is a really difficult thing to do for Nova Scotians? And in, I understand, like, I'm, I'm not trying to position it as, you know, you, just, you snap your fingers or throw some money at it and the problem's going to be fixed. But if you take that one metric and some other ones, like even surgical wait times, and you look at them over the last year, they aren't getting better. And so is it understandable that Nova Scotians would worry, even during the rest of your mandate, that things won't start to get better? I'm not saying you're going to fix it overnight, but if things like those well, metrics are getting worse, what does that say? Yeah, well, it's, it just says that there's work to be done. So let's take the need of family practice metric, because it is one that, of course, politically, it's, 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 a, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a number, right? And when you have numbers, you can work with them, right? But 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 people that need a family practice that means they don't have a they don't have a regular family doctor or maybe nurse practitioner it does not mean that they don't have access to care and in fact uh, everyone on that list has access to virtual care, which is not for everything. But listen, I hear from Nova Scotians every day that said they had an interaction with the with the virtual virtual care in Nova Scotia, and it was just what they needed, whether it was a prescription. So, so not I, the same, I, you know what? 
It, it, well, it's 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 what we're talking about is making sure that people can have access to care and that they connect with the healthcare system at the right place, right? So a lot of people, if you don't have a family doctor, you may have to go to the emergency room. Probably not the right place for people to connect with the with the healthcare system. So look, I, I don't want I won't I won't spend one second of time uh, justifying the, the issues of the healthcare system here or nationally. I know there is a lot of work to be done, but at the same time, I also think it's incumbent on me to uh, to acknowledge some of the work that is happening. We have healthcare professionals extremely dedicated to the care of Nova Scotians, extremely compassionate people. They are working hard. The health leadership team right. is working hard. So what I ask Nova Scotians. Uh, to do is, is say, yeah, we can we can have a frank discussion about the challenges. They're in our face every single day, but also um, but have some trust that things are happening. Work is being done. People are doing the best that they can, and there's a lot to be done for sure. Uh, in that um, vein, I, are working. Uh, sorry to interrupt. Pardon me, mm -hmm. Premier. I'm just running out of time, and I do want to ask you about the ask from the federal government because I spoke with Alberta's Premier Danielle mm -hmm. Smith, who basically said, "I'm not waiting around for the federal money. I'm just going to pursue the reforms I want using the resources I have." Uh, are you in alignment with that position or are you waiting around for the federal government's money? Nobody's waiting around, but that doesn't mean that there is not a role in this partnership for the federal government. Um, and and I encourage the, the prime minister uh, to sit down and have that discussion as to what that partnership looks like. Um, it will require money, but there's other things we can do around, you know, technology leadership that the, that the federal government could could be participating in. And I wish they would. And uh, we're, we're, we're the, the prime minister have a willing partner in Nova Scotia, and I would say most other provinces as well. And it's not about us not wanting to be held accountable. I've 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 looked the the federal government in the eye and said, look, we want we're, we're held accountable every single day. There's no more being held accountable than than facing the tragedy that we're facing now. There's no more evidence of the work that needs to be done. So let's get that let's get that let's have that meeting. Let's talk about how we can work together. But no, uh, we are not waiting around not for one second. Okay, Premier, I'll leave it there. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Nova Scotia's Premier, uh, that's Nova Scotia's Premier Tim Houston there. We're going to dig into the deadlock he referenced between the federal government and the provinces. Coming up with the front bench, Stephen McNeil, Lisa Raitt, Tom Mulcair, and Robert Benzie will be here. On the other end of a quick commercial break, though, here on Power Play, we're going to head over to Mexico City. We're standing by to take you live to a press conference. There you can see reporters have a mass waiting for that press conference. The Prime Minister, U.S. President Joe Biden, and their Mexican counterpart uh, will be there to take questions from reporters. Like I said, we'll take you there live as soon as it happens. On the other end of a quick break, former Foreign Affairs Minister Peter McKay will be here alongside former U.S. Ambassador to Canada Bruce Heyman. Joe Biden is coming to Canada. We'll take stock of that visit. What we should be doing, and we are doing, is demonstrating the unlimited economic potential that we have when we work together and in the hemisphere, and to help the entire hemisphere. North America is the largest free trading bloc in the world, larger even than the European Union. Uh, we have a tremendous amount uh, to contribute to the world. Joe Biden is coming to Canada. It'll be the first time the U.S. president visits this country since he took over the Oval Office. That visit is slated for March. The announcement came right after the president met with the prime minister during the North American Leaders Summit in Mexico City. A reminder, we're taking you live 
momentarily to a press conference from the Prime Minister and the President in Mexico City. But that announcement, that visit, the announcement of it wasn't all that came out of the meeting. A temporary fix for Nexus woes and a big Canadian military purchase from the U.S. for Ukraine were also announced. To get some more perspective, you're looking at the screen there just at Melanie Jolie, the Foreign Affairs Minister, uh, as we wait for that press conference. I want to get some more perspective, though, on what was announced from former U.S. Ambassador to Canada, Bruce Heyman, and former Foreign Affairs Minister Peter McKay. They both join me now. Hi there. Good to see you, Mr. McKay, and good to see you, Ambassador Heyman. Thank you for making the time. Pleasure. Thank you, Vashi. Nice to see you. Uh, nice to see you, Ambassador. <laughs> nice to see everybody this evening. Uh, Ambassador, I do, I do want to start with you, and just uh, I want to start on that visit. In fact, I know from my conversations with people around the Prime Minister, it's a visit they've been working a long time on. They had hoped the announcement would come much earlier than now. Is it about time that the President visits Canada? Well, it's always a good time when the President visits Canada. But, you know, I think Canadians should feel very good about this uh, North American Leadership Summit and the bilateral meetings. You know, you talked about nexus and finding a way around and a quick fix. Uh, the numbers are between three and 500,000 people who are waiting in line, mostly Canadians. You talk about uh, the opportunity to engage in a way that hasn't been done really in a little bit. Remember that during Donald Trump, there were no nows meetings at all for four consecutive years. We also have an F-35 purchase. We have new cooperation on Ukraine. I, I just think it was a good time uh, for the prime minister and his team. I think the PMO should be very happy with the way this conference has gone so far. Mr. McKay, help us peel back the curtain a little bit. We were just looking at a shot of the current foreign affairs minister who is meeting her counterpart there, a few of the other ministers as well. How important is the face-to-face -face time? in that capacity, both for the Prime Minister, but also for, uh, for example, in the role that you served as Foreign Affairs Minister, to getting towards announcements like some of the stuff we saw today? Well, it's critically important, Vashi. As the uh, Ambassador has just laid out, these are substantive issues that, that need to be discussed. And while you can have phone calls and video conferences, that face-to-face -face relationship part of your, your job as a Foreign Minister, as a Prime Minister, as a Minister of Government, uh, is really enhanced when you, you sit down face to face. And so, yes, it's uh, it's welcome news that President Biden will be coming to Canada. In fairness, I think the pandemic is partly to blame for the delay. But there are some really important issues, some of which the ambassadors just referenced. But continued trade issues, I suggest, are, are also very important as we face the, the headwinds of a possible recession in North America. And I think, you know, a chance to talk about some of the other important security issues that still are, are facing Mexico. Mexico doesn't make the news as much uh, in Canada or the United States for that matter, but they are an important third part of the, uh, the former NAFTA, now USMCA. And so this, uh, this summit comes at a good time. Uh, we have a lot of uh, really, really challenging complex files on the horizon as we head into 2023. And so the summit, while sometimes is seen as a bit pro forma and, and that the, the diplomats have uh, worked everything out in advance. I think what you're seeing here is, is some progress, at least outward progress on some of the issues that, uh, that need to be addressed. Uh, if you're just joining us now, you're watching Power Play and you're looking at a live shot in Mexico City of 
uh, a number of reporters and, and various politicians who have gathered to hear from uh, the trifecta, the, uh, the three amigos as they're colloquially known, uh, U.S. President Joe Biden, uh, the Canadian Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau, and their Mexican counterpart. Former U.S. Ambassador to Canada Bruce Heyman is here alongside former Foreign Affairs Minister Peter McKay. Our audience ambassador is just looking at, uh, right now they're staring actually at Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino, uh, who of course has a number of files that he's there to discuss, primarily Nexus. You had touched on that. Huge backlog, big uh, divide between the U.S. and Canada. The U.S. wants their, for example, their employees working in Canadian offices to have an immunity of sorts. Um, and it didn't look like it was, it was going anywhere for a long time. Again, do you think the in-person thing today makes a difference? The in-person always makes a difference. Uh, the minister I consider to be a good friend, and I know he's worked hard um, with the head of Homeland Security to try to find a solution to this that fits Canadian law but also meets the needs of uh, the Canadian citizens who want the Nexus program. I think it's a creative solution. It's an interim. It's just a, it's a short-term fix yeah, to a longer-term yeah. problem. But I think it's, uh, it's one that I think Canadians will appreciate. And so we can get this Nexus program um, back on board. Mr. McKay, I hope you don't mind me taking advantage of a couple of the portfolios uh, you served under, the other, one of the others being defense, because part of the, the three announcements, there was Nexus, there's the visit, and the third is uh, that Canada will purchase uh, an advanced surface-to-air missile system from the U.S. to give to Ukraine. Uh, apparently, according to the current defense minister, that's a very that, that comes from a very specific conversation with her Ukrainian counterpart. Uh, what do you make of that part of this announcement? Well, it is, again, a very important contribution that Canada, via the purchase in the United States, will be making to help uh, provide greater security over cities in Ukraine. The air defense system uh, that they have is, is sort of a, a piecemeal patched together from various contributors, mainly from the European Union and, uh, and the United States. So this, uh, this is absolutely what President Zelensky is, is looking for, short of having uh, you know, the ability to shut down airspace over Ukraine, having these type of missile defense systems is uh, is critical to protecting his citizens. So it's a big piece, a big ask, uh, 500 million, uh, I believe, alone in this particular contribution. But you can be certain that this is a welcome part of the, the overall effort to repel Russian attacks on Ukrainian cities. And so, you know, the, the defense minister has delivered here for her Ukrainian counterpart. Ambassador Heyman, uh, I wanted to ask you about, I, I think Mr. McKay had mentioned at one point, some of the trade uh, issues that exist. I, I won't call them irritants, maybe at this point. Uh, they always exist, and, and you and I have, uh, have certainly frequently discussed them in the past. But uh, in particular, I'm not sure if, if uh, the way in which to characterize it, but the Inflation Reduction Act is a, is a massive game changer. Everybody in the automotive industry I talk to in this country says that to me and, and has certainly, you know, made the playing field a, a lot less even uh, in attracting investment. I, I'm wondering from your perspective to what degree the U.S. cares at all, if at all, uh, that, that it does put Canada at a disadvantage and if that's a, a factor in considering any of the act's implementation. I think this is a difficult balance for the president because we really see critical supply chains being under threat as a result of the activities happening in the Far East. COVID, a war in, in Europe, and we realize that we need to have 
supply chains re-enhanced domestically. I've been a huge proponent of uh, Canada in particular, but also North America in being all part of this supply chain. This is what we call nearshoring or friendshoring. I think it makes us more competitive globally, and I'm a big believer in that. That being said, I think that there were amendments in the Inflation Reduction Act, which opened up Canada and Mexico to the EV credit. And so this is a balance, and we go back and forth on these things. And I hear you, and I, and I only say that Canada needs to make it very attractive for uh, automobile manufacturers to continue to produce cars and assemble cars in Canada. And um, I think that stands to the Canadian benefit and U.S. benefit. But I do believe when we do things together, it strengthens the relationship. Okay, I have to leave it there. I'm out of time, out of time unfortunately. I'm so sorry. Thank you very much, both of you, for your time this evening, though. Thank you, Vashi. Thank you, Vashi. Thank you. Peter McKay is Canada's former foreign affairs minister, and Bruce Heyman is the former U.S. ambassador to Canada. Coming up, as promised, we are going to head to Mexico City as soon as the prime minister and the president begin to address reporters. We'll take you there live. Our front bench is also standing by to weigh in on that big meeting between the president and the prime minister. And up next, what you need to know about politics today, the list is coming up. Welcome back to Power Play on this Tuesday evening. This is the list. What's happening in politics today? The Prime Minister is offering his condolences after an avalanche in British Columbia killed one police officer and critically injured another, saying in part to their family and friends, Canadians are with you. And to the officer who was injured, we're wishing you a fast and full recovery. It happened north of Nelson in southeastern BC. The officers were with the city of Nelson on snowmobiles at the time. Avalanche Canada has warned of a dangerous season after last year's extreme weather made this year's snowpack unstable. Bank of Canada Governor Tiff Macklem sat down with central bank leaders from around the world today to have a public talk focused on the challenge of climate change. The bank's governor said a green transition will come with a big price tag, but insisted research is needed to understand the impact of climate change on the economy and whether it will cool or fuel inflation. And the opposition, Conservatives, Bloc and NDP are calling for a parliamentary study of the Trudeau government's use of private consultants. They had these, you know, these aliens from outer space coming in and presenting them with a bunch of PowerPoint presentations and fancy charts and graphs uh, that produced no value and interrupted the work of our core public service. Polyev's calls for a study are on the heels of a Radio Canada report. The Liberal government has awarded tens of millions of dollars in contracts to the firm McKinsey & Company. The private company's contract earnings surged from about $2 million over nine years under Stephen Harper's Conservatives to more than $66 million in the last six years under this government. Polyev wants the Government Operations Committee to get answers on what Canadians got out of those contracts and whether the company held influence over government. Former Ambassador to China Dominic Barton worked with McKinsey before his appointment by Prime Minister Trudeau, and the company is under investigation over its government contracts in France.
And Toronto homeowners are being hit with a big property tax increase. The mayor made the announcement. It's a 5.5% increase, but that's on top of a previously announced 1.5% increase. So this year, homeowners are facing a 7% jump in property tax bills. The city says the average increase will amount to about $233. And after months of speculation and weeks of front-page leaks, Prince Harry's memoir, Spare, is officially out. And it's already setting records with reports. The publisher is set to announce it's the fastest-selling nonfiction book ever. At least 400,000 copies have been sold so far. A lot more to come tonight. Next, you'll hear from our front bench. Stephen McNeil, Lisa Ray, Tom Mulcair, and Rob Benzie will join me. We're going to talk about that summit. And we'll also talk about healthcare. Stay with us. Welcome back to Power Play on this Tuesday evening. Any moment now, we are expecting to hear from the Prime Minister and his Mexican and American counterparts. They'll hold rather a joint press conference in Mexico City. I can show you a live shot of the room as it prepares to hear from the three of them. That press conference, there's John Kerry uh, talking to Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie. Like I said, we're standing by. We're expecting to hear from everyone there momentarily. We'll listen in live to those remarks when they happen. They will happen on the heels of some very important meetings that took place today in Mexico City. None more so, at least from the perspective of this country, than the one that took place between U.S. President Joe Biden and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. A bunch of things came out of that meeting, and that's what we want to talk about with our front bench panel. Joining me this evening, former Nova Scotia Premier Stephen McNeil, former Deputy Conservative Leader Lisa Raich, she's the Vice Chair and Managing Director of Global Investment Banking at CIBC. CTV News political analyst and former NDP leader Tom Mulcair is here, as is the Toronto Star's Queen's Park Bureau Chief Robert Benzie. Hi, everybody. Good to see you. Thank you very much for making the time. Hi, Marcy. <laughs> Hi, Stephen. I'm going to start with you as we kind of stand by and wait to hear from the Prime Minister uh, and the U.S. President. The President is coming to visit in March, kind of quote-unquote finally. Sure, there was a pandemic in between, but, but I, know, I know that uh, people in government have been anxious for that visit. Uh, should we place a lot of stock in it? Well, listen, it's great news for Canada. Listen, our largest trading partner, our most important partner is the United States. The fact that uh, the President is coming here is an opportunity for us to continue to point out the fact that our economies are linked. Uh, we need to make sure that as we move into some difficult economic times and continue in them, that we don't move into a protectionist state, that by America approach uh, will hurt Canada. We need to make sure that our economy, which runs north-south, continues to flourish. Uh, and in this time, we need this relationship to continue to, f uh, to, continue to grow. And I take the, uh, that the fact that the president is coming is a very good sign. Let's dive right in when you mention protectionism, because, Lisa, I know this is something that, that you're talking about all the time right now. And in particular, and yeah. I mentioned this with uh, former U.S. Ambassador Bruce Heyman, but the Inflation Reduction Act and the challenges it poses for this government going forward, just to, just to brief our audience really quickly, that's a big piece of legislation that was introduced that provides billions, hundreds of billions of dollars of subsidies for the development of green technology, from batteries to cars. We, we carved out an exclusion for the overall process of making an uh, electric vehicle, but not really for where the battery is concerned and some other stuff. How mm. worried should uh, the, the federal government be about that? Well, I'm, like Stephen, I'm very welcoming uh, 
President Biden coming. And the reason being maybe a little bit different, it's because I think that the presence, uh, presence of the United States needs to be here in order to continue spurring on Canadian lawmakers, legislatures and officials to move ahead on making sure that we're matching up with the Inflation Reduction Act as quickly as we possibly can. Time is of the essence. So having a milestone like the President of the United States coming to visit in March is actually very helpful in ensuring that people feel that sense of urgency that we really need to have when it comes mm -hmm. to making sure we're part of this new economy. It's a $369 billion Inflation Reduction Act in the United States. We can't compete toe-to-toe -to -toe on that at all. However, we have the critical minerals and we have the patents and we have the ingenuity and we have the people who want to make sure that they're playing in that economic space for for the rest of our future. But we got to make sure that we're part of the beginning of it to, to to not be left behind. So I like the fact that the president's coming to set the tone on urgency. And I hope that it's going to be setting um, a, a bit of a, of a milestone for the folks in Ottawa to ensure that they're running on all cylinders to get where we need to be. That meeting, Tom, is happening in person. So is the one our viewers were just looking at uh, between so many, you know, not just the prime minister and the president, but a host of other uh, politicians. How important is it that this stuff does happen in person? Sure, we're having all the virtual meetings. Sure, there's a lot of diplomatic discussion. But how significant is it that they're meeting face to face now and then also will be in March? It's extremely important. Developing that type of personal relationship when something goes south, if you pick up the phone to talk to your opposite number in the other capital and you don't know each other, it's that much more difficult. So, yes, establishing a good, warm rapport with the people on the other side is essential. Look at immigration. I mean, if you look at the, the readout of the different meetings today, you'll notice that with regard to the U.S. and Mexico, there seems to be a lot there. With regard to Canada and the U.S., not so much. And I think that Mr. Trudeau might get some questions on that when he comes and meets the press later on, because a lot of people wanted to know about these, this system that we have, where it's supposed to be a safe third country. If you're seeking asylum and, you know, coming in to Canada from the United States, you're, you're to go back because the U.S. is presumed to be safe. Marco Mendicino made a hint a couple of weeks ago that they were about to change that. Mr. Trudeau seems to have shut the door on that. Will there be an opening? This is a huge political issue for Mr. Trudeau across the country, but most importantly in Quebec, where this famous Roxham Road sees tens of thousands of people crossing irregularly. So this is the type of thing where you can pick up the phone the next time and talk to your opposite number on an immigration, on a security, on a border issue. That's why these meetings are so important. It's a good point about the Safe Third Country Agreement. That's, of course, uh, the agreement that's been uh, under discussion and supposedly uh, there are efforts underway to modernize it for a number of years. It's what allows people to cross between official uh, poor, uh, places of entry and in Rocks of Rowan, unfortunately, uh, less than a week ago, one of those migrants was found actually dead. And so uh, we did request, I should say, to be transparent, Minister Menachino, to ask him just about that, but he's, he's apparently tied up, as we saw in the live. Hopefully he'll come on the program in the next few days uh, to discuss if there has been any progress and if not, why not. Uh, Rob, there, there were some announceables, though, out of today. The visit is one of them. The purchase of surface-to-air missile system uh, from the U.S. to deliver to Ukraine. Um, and then uh, and then also a sort of like an interim agreement on Nexus, where there's this massive backlog right now between three and five hundred thousand people. So there are some tangibles out of this thing. Yeah. And actually, the, the trusted traveler Nexus program, I use it. Uh, many of my colleagues do friends. 
uh, and it, it has been basically frozen for some time now because of this impasse between the United States and, and Canada over uh, wh whether they're, how, how customs officials, U.S. customs officials, uh, could be treated here in Canada. They, they like to have their guns. There's a whole bunch of other issues like that. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a problem, and it's. We've all seen the, the headaches with airlines and airports across the country. So I think anything that can help travelers move more quickly through a major airport uh, is a good thing. And this Nexus deal will, will, will help that. So that's one good thing. Certainly for, for Ukraine, the, uh, the, uh, the surface-to-air missile system announcement is very, very important. Anything that Canada can do, the United States can do to help Ukraine uh, as it fends off this illegal invasion by, uh, by Russia is, is good news. And, of course, yes, the visit... Uh, the personal, Tom is right. The personal report between the president of the United States and the, and the prime minister of Canada is essential. Uh, we know the last time a president was here in Canada, it was Donald Trump in 2018, so almost five years ago. And uh, hasn't, we didn't have such a great rapport in this country with, with President Trump's administration. I think we'll have a better one uh, with this. Oh, we've had a better one since, since uh, Biden took office in January 2021. And I think it'll be better still with this face-to-face uh, -face that the two of them will have uh, in Ottawa in March. Stephen, let me circle back to where we started. You mentioned the word protectionism and that, you know, Canadians and, and the federal government have to be aware of that. How concerned, if you were still premier, how concerned would you be about some of the stuff you see in the IRA and some of the rhetoric around uh, protecting U.S. industry? Well, I'd be very concerned. Uh, quite frankly, as I said at the very beginning, our largest trading partner, our economy is actually linked north-south more than it is uh, east-west. Uh, Any time the United States decides they're going to wrap their arms around their own economy, provide protection for their own businesses, of course it impacts uh, us here uh, in in Canada. You know, uh, in, in Nova Scotia, we're the home Michelin Tire, which is uh, one of the largest exports that come out of uh, the region, Atlantic Canada. What would happen to them every time you end up with this, with the Americans deciding they're going to uh, put up barriers? So, uh, I think we should be very concerned. Uh, and uh, my hope is uh, that uh, this was a big part of the conversation. Uh, let's not lose sight of the fact many Canadian families are suffering, uh, and this has been a difficult year on many families economically. Uh, all indicators are we're going, that's going to continue uh, for, the, for the next number of months. Anything uh, that we can do uh, collectively uh, to continue to keep the economy moving, providing opportunity, because let's face it, Canadian workers can compete, Canadian companies can compete when the playing field is level, uh, and we need to make sure it stays that way. Okay, I'm going to take a, a quick... Sorry, Tom, you want to weigh in quickly? It's fine. Is that your voice I heard? No. Fine. Sorry, do you... <laughs> I can't hear you. Did, you. did you want to say something really quickly before I take a break? No, that's fine. Fine, Vashi. Oh, never mind. Okay, we're going to take that commercial break, and then I'm going to go straight to Tom when we come back. We're going to talk actually about health care and the, uh, that, that sort of deadlock between the feds and the provinces in just a moment right here on PowerPlay. Welcome back to Power Play. Uh, as I've been telling you this evening, we are still slated to head to Mexico City to hear from uh, President Joe Biden and Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau. They're going to talk to reporters any minute now. I want to squeeze in, if I could, one last round with our front bench, though. And this time on the topic of health care and the deadlock between uh, the feds and the provinces. Have a listen uh, to Nova Scotia's uh, Premier Tim Houston on that deadlock right now. Nobody's waiting around, but... 
That doesn't mean that there is not a role in this partnership for the federal government. Um, and, and I encourage the, the Prime Minister uh, to sit down and have that discussion as to what that partnership looks like. Um, it will require money, but there's other things we can do around, you know, technology leadership that the, that the federal government could, could be participating in, and I wish they would. Tom uh, Mulcair is here, as is Lisa Raid, Stephen McNeil, and Robert Benzie. Uh, Tom, I, I want to start with you, uh, as I so rudely cut you off before, before the last break, but, but also because I just wanted to get your perspective on, are you at all uh, surprised that we're still, like, that this meeting still hasn't taken place between the premiers and, and the prime minister? Not really, because I don't think that Trudeau's condition is unreasonable. He's saying he wants to make sure that these things not going to fail. He's not denying the fact that the federal government has to put more money into the system. He's saying he wants to have a better look at how the money's being spent. That's where he's getting massive pushback from the provinces saying, look, this was a 50-50 deal. Now it's closer to 75-25. You've just got to start ponying up the cash. What's interesting is out of Quebec City, we're hearing that Legault is pretty darn close to a deal with Trudeau because he's already able to respond to the question of reporting. There is a system in place here. So if that's where Trudeau is heading and he can sit down with other provinces and say, look, we're not going to try to tell you how to hire nurses or how to train doctors, but we will ask you to tell us that the money is actually being dedicated to health care. I think that a deal is possible. It's not unreasonable for the Prime Minister of Canada to say we're already putting tens of billions into the system. We're willing to put in a lot more. Yes, we'll start picking up our side or we want to know how it's being spent. Lisa, do you think this sort of plays out the way it did? I think the year was 2018 when there ended up being individual deals struck with individual provinces. Do you think that's how this ends up playing out? I'm sure that's what the Prime Minister wants. I mean, he's a deal announcer. He's not a deal negotiator. He's not a deal maker. And here's the deal that I have. I think there's an incredible unease in Canada right now about the status of health care. I think people are really worried. Uh, we saw that terrible tragedy that happened in Nova Scotia where a, an otherwise healthy 37-year-old woman dies in the emergency room. And that story is happening across Canada. You know what Canadians deserve? They deserve to see their elected officials sitting around a boardroom table, hashing it out, banging on the table, walking away with the best deal they can get, where they all say, this is the best deal we got for everybody, and we have a vision of how to go forward, because that's how messed up our system is right now. I feel like a bit of a broken record, Rob, but I, I swear my inbox for the last two months has been full of people emailing un, un, with, with a lack of understanding at how that can't happen, right? Like not from, a, and from all different political parties and, and, you know, interests in provincial and federal politics. Uh, the, the conditions are, and they feel like the, there are, it's reasonable to have conditions. It's reasonable for the premiers to want some jurisdiction over the money, but they just don't understand how a conversation can't take place between the parties. The problem is they can't even agree on the accounting. As Premier McNeil, I'm sure, can attest, the premiers say that they uh, pay 78% of, of health care costs, the provinces do. and the, uh, But the federal government says, well, wait a minute, actually, you pay two-thirds because we actually gave you a third of the costs because they gave them tax points back in the 1970s, so they have more taxing room, uh, more, more provincial income taxes go towards the provinces and, and less to the federal government. So that's uh, something that they can't even agree on that accounting. So the one thing, I think there will be more money from uh, Mr. Trudeau's government for the provinces. I think there has to be. I think there's a broad consensus in Canada that uh, that things need to be better. But I think that that money will be tied to better outcomes, Vashi. It can't just be blank checks 
and and the same old, same old. We spend about 14 or 15 percent of our gross domestic product in this country on healthcare. Are we getting great outcomes for that? I, I don't know. I mean, some people say the situation, that terrible situation in Nova Scotia, as Lisa was just mentioning, that's a very good example of a, a terrible, the worst possible outcome. And I think that those kinds of uh, an, that kind of anecdotal evidence is really sobering. And I think all of all political leaders, we're going to be speaking to Premier Doug Ford about this tomorrow, about this, the, the health care funding situation uh, here in Ontario. And I think that that's something that all of them are worried about. It's the it's the number one issue for politicians domestically in this country. Uh, Stephen, you sat around that table and I'm sure you've had a discussion like the one uh, the premiers want to have right now. What, what's your perspective do you think that Premier should say, okay, some conditions are okay, let's meet? Do you think the Prime Minister should drop those conditions and meet? What do you think? Well, I, I, listen, first of all, everyone acknowledges there needs to be more money put in the system, including the federal government. Uh, the idea that uh, the federal government is looking for conditions uh, that targeted funding really is what we're talking about. Uh, they wanted to make sure that uh, provincial governments spend that money on issues that matter to the federal government and to the Canadian population, ensuring that we end up with better outcomes, whether that is on mental health, whether that is on uh, primary care, uh, you name it in the system. Uh, I can't figure out, quite frankly, why provinces are unwilling to sit down to a conversation about those what, what those targeted funding would look like. I can tell you, as a premier of not that long ago, uh, I was just looking for the money. Uh, quite honestly. Tell me where you want me to spend in the system. The system requires support. But I caution everyone, uh, for provinces just to want the money to continue to put it into the current system, we're failing ourselves. Uh, the money will run out. Uh, the, we need to change the delivery model and how we deliver care to Canadians and meet the way practitioners want to practice, the way Canadians want to receive uh, their health care and be open uh, to looking at a new model uh, that uh, allows us to take advantage of technology, allows us to allow our, our, our practitioners, whether it's a nurse practitioner, pharma, pharmacist, all to practice their full scope so that they can continue to make sure that when we require support in the system, we get it. Uh, and, and if I was the federal government, I would demand, quite frankly, that that funding is targeted. Uh, we have seen for too long, uh, and I sat around that table, for too long that provincial governments want that money without any conditions uh, and the outcomes just aren't there for the Canadian population and we need outcomes. So, so those are all very interesting comments because, Tom, I don't think I could find a premier and I, I might have interviewed nearly every single one of them on this subject who would say the same no thing today, right? There, there is, and, and especially, I would say, in the province you're sitting in, right? Uh, you know, it, exactly. it, it's become so important to them to say no strings attached. Fair enough. But the whole system is based on having strings attached. Everybody gave up yeah. a bit of their provincial autonomy over health care. They agreed to basic pillars of the system. It would be free, universal, transportable from province to province, accessible. These are the types of things that we defined in those agreements. And there's no reason, in my view, why the premiers and the prime minister and their representatives can't get together today and show the same sense of purpose and maturity. And I like uh, Stephen McNeil's constant reference to outcomes. That's what this is about. It's about the result. It's not about the means. So I think that the average Canadian looking at this is saying, look, get yourselves into a room, find the best people, 
There have been so many reports. Roy Romano wrote a great report with lots of super ideas in it, but it's been done so many times now. We don't need another report. What we need now is people of goodwill and good faith to sit around a table and say, okay, how do we get out of this? If the feds think that they can sit down at a table and say, we want you to spend more money on mental health, and the federal government knows a lot about that, they don't, and that's a non-starter. But if it is, we want to look at your overall results that we can compare and work together, then they can get a deal. Uh, Lisa, I think that um, many of these comments reflect what a lot of Can like the frustration a lot of Canadians feel, because at the same time that this impasse exists, the examples that you've all pointed to, the, the most recent one, I mean, there's been so many lately, and so many of us have our own encounters mm. with the with the healthcare system or are avoiding it because we're afraid of, of, of what it will face. So I'm, I'm wondering, as someone who's spent a long time in politics, why it doesn't seem like the politicians right now are reflecting what is pretty obvious among the public. Because they don't think they need to, Fashy. They think that they can play the same games that have been played in the past, which is wait till a deal is struck individually between province and feds, make the announcement and move on, because it has worked very, very well in the past. I just think things are different now, and the only place where you get punished is at the ballot box. And that's something that's a long way away for, for most provinces and indeed for this federal government as well. So perhaps that's why we're still doing it in the same way that we've done it before. But I would really like to see some fresh ideas and some at least some effort put into solving the bigger problem, taking this moment in time for what it is, and that is for a big fix of a very big problem. Uh, Rob, last word to you on this one. You said that you're going to be talking to Doug Ford tomorrow. He's also, I mean, he hasn't been as ardent. I don't know if he's been as specific as some other premiers. Do you think he would acquiesce on some conditions? Yes, I, I know he would, Bashi. I was speaking with his officials today, and they, a lot of the conditions, better data collection, better uh, metrics for outcomes, these are things that they want as well. And I think that if you can get aside from the, the jurisdictional issues that, that uh, Francois Legault and, and maybe Danielle Smith, uh, premiers of Quebec and Alberta, might be more bogged down in, I don't think that in places like Nova Scotia and Ontario and New Brunswick, uh, that's, that's not as big a deal. They just want, British Columbia, they just want more money and better outcomes. And I think that uh, Premier McNeil is correct. That's at the end of the day what, what will solve this impasse is just freeing up that funding okay. and the feds can't dictate how to do it. We shall see. I've got to leave it there. Thank you very much, all of you, for making the time for your analysis tonight. Appreciate it. Stephen McNeil, Lisa Ray, Tom Mulcair, and Rob Benzie. Today's takeaway, of course, we heard from Nova Scotia Premier on this issue as well as that tragic case of the 37-year-old woman who passed away on New Year's Eve. He does say that there will be an investigation into that uh, and that the results will be made public to the family and then the family will ultimately decide if the public is made privy to those results. We'll, of course, bring you any details as they become available to us. Right now, we turn our eyes to Mexico City. We anticipate a press conference, we think, any moment now from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, his U.S. and Mexican counterparts. Big announcements from the U.S. and Canada today following a bilateral meeting between the Prime Minister rather, and President Joe Biden is coming to Canada. That visit will happen in March. We expect to hear some more details about how it will all unfold at that press conference tonight. We'll see you tomorrow here on Power Play. I'm Vashi Capellos. Have a great night.